0: Hello, and welcome to How to Be an Artist, a new podcast brought to you by Soho House. My name's Kate Bryan, and I'm the head of collections for Soho House. And over this series, I'll be talking to a global lineup of influential contemporary artists who all feature in our art collection. We'll be considering what it takes to be an artist and especially what it means right now. On this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Lonika Gordijn and Ralph Nauter, co-founders of Drift. Based in Amsterdam, Drift comprises of a multidisciplinary team of over 50 people creating experiential sculptures, installations and performances. At the core of Drift's ideology is to better reveal nature to us by using technology. Every time I've experienced their work, I've been simultaneously blown away by the interactive and innovative mediums and processes they use, as well as being silently awed by the way they harness all that complexity to create something simple, renewing our connection to the natural world around us. Drift has been exhibited in numerous institutions, including the V&A, the Met Museum, the Stoedlick Museum, UTA Artist Space, Garage Museum and at the Venice Biennale. Lonica and Ralph, hello and welcome. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to talk about all things drift. Um, is it okay if we start with the incredible work we have on display at Amsterdam Soho House? Sure, that's perfectly fine. Hello, Kate. It's so nice to hear your voices. Um, I know that um, the work that we have is part of an ongoing series called Fragile Future, which is something that's brought Drift International renowned. They're light-based sculptures created by dandelion heads, individually applied to LED lights. So, Lonica, I always have this picture of you guys as these, like, Amazing, international, successful contemporary artist. But I also have the simultaneous image of you going out and picking these lovely dandelion heads. I mean, it's so sweet, uh, it's so unusual. It's this amazing fusion of nature and science. Um, tell me a bit more about the Genesis, Lonica, and how you produce them and, and what they mean to Drift.
1: Yes, I think, um, well, the dandelions have uh, lead our way for for a long time and and still are an important part of what we do at the studio. I think um, it was my graduation project in 2005, but in a different form than it is right now. And um, I think I learned a lot from picking dandelions year after year after year, looking at how dandelions behave. And this changed my view on nature. And I think... Uh, we became aware of how much we look like nature, how much you can actually see um, the behavior of of a plant or a flower and how we behave exactly in the same way. And this has become leading in our projects to realize that we can connect with nature not only on how it looks like, but also how it feels, but also of how we function as a human species. And, uh, well, dandelions, uh, they, they grow only in the wild. They, uh, we try to grow them, uh, like, let's say, in a, in a glass house or indoors, but they need the wind. They need to feel the wind. They're very wild flowers. They can't be put into prison, which I love of that flower. So, year after year, we go to the fields, and, and it's only once a year that there are fields full of millions of flowers. And uh, we basically pick the seeds this, when, when they open up with seed bowls, and we collect those seeds and um, glue them seed per seed on. An led light and this creates an electrical flower and that we place into a modular system that can conduct electricity so basically it's an electronic uh, connection system that can always make new connections and adapt to spaces um, yes and we made one for solar house i mean it's extraordinary because it, it's so painstaking like you you think of
0: drift and the work that the studio creates and it's so sort of technologically advanced, but this is slow design. I mean, it must be like, what, tiny tweezers and it
1: takes people hours to put these things together? Uh, yeah, you're you're right. It, it, it's, it needs a certain type of person who can concentrate and really do really fine work and do it over and over and over again. And some people will hate it and get frustrated, but other people would be calmed down by this mm-hmm. uh, type of behavior. We have a lot of that repetition in our work. Mm. The mass of many uh, of the same objects can create uh, very powerful, um, yeah, images or or, or installations.
0: And the work that we have at Amsterdam, Sarah House, and other works that I've seen have been. I mean, the one we have at Amsterdam is actually quite modest compared to the ones I've seen in museums, which are enormous and very complex and look like these um, almost like extraordinary chandeliers. But actually, you've just created one which is like a single lion, single dandelion head. So it's this very, very unique object, which is a sculpture, but it's also a functioning light. And it's just one beautiful. Dandelion head, and I, 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 was really confronted by the idea that I think great art has to be able to work on every scale, and that idea just—you
1: can execute it, just have one
0: of them, and, and it still really sings.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. Actually, the the single one that was the first starting point back in the days for for this work, and um, we actually uh, refueled this idea and 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 brought it back into life. Uh, we already have it for quite a while, actually, but we we put a lot of time and effort in in bring, bringing it back into the picture. Actually, last year, but we had this for for quite a while, and it's true. I think it has a different look and feel uh, when it's a single one, and and but when it's uh, that 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 has a beauty and a fragility in it, and I think when you create these large installations, it's more about dreaming, and actually. Making it happen, those dreams. Yeah. So it's it the the small one shows a potential, and the big one shows actually what we are capable of not not as an artist, but also as as humans and as as in in vision and in in creation. Mm. Well, speaking of dreaming,
0: I, I felt like I woke up from a dream when I was lucky enough to experience another one of your works. It was a performance-based work. It was in Art Basel, Miami in 2017. Um, I'm smiling just remembering it because I've never seen loads and loads of noisy art world people just shut up. I mean, everyone was just went so quiet. We're all on the beach. Ralph, I remember seeing you just before it began and you saying, you know, you it's been so sort of so much work and so much time in the making that you just, the anticipation was just sort of palpable for you guys and we're all just standing there no idea what we're going to see there's often this sort of element of surprise in your work and then this extraordinary thing happened with these drones and i just would love for you to describe it to us ralph
2: yeah so we we flew our uh, franchise freedom art piece for the first time uh, at art basel miami whereby we programmed uh, 300 drones to swarm like a group of starlings of birds um there's actually a long research uh, before uh, to to make to make this happen, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a trip as well for me. I mean, uh, it was actually the first time that we saw it working um, in its current form. So we also had no idea if it was gonna gonna function as as we hoped it did. Yeah, luckily uh, we were we were as amazed as uh, as you were looking at the (laughs) beach,
0: But I think what's so special about it is that you say the word drone and you think of new technology and it feels very far removed from something which feels personal and intimate. But even though there were hundreds of us on that beach, you know, at the night sky with these, um, the drones all lit up, flying in this formation it was it was like a piece of ballet that you'd orchestrated and to get them to operate in the way that um real birds would and the way that they flew together those algorithms were must have been sort of just absolutely mind-bending to get right even to be able to produce that but the quality was so seamless so perfect every i've told you this before guys every single time i see a flock of birds i think of franchise freedom it is forever in my Ah, mind that's amazing
2: that's amazing well um... every time yeah, but that that means we did a good job, I guess. Uh, but it was a yeah, it 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 was a it was an interesting um, process. I mean, we've been working on this pe- uh, piece almost from the beginning from 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 our career, whereby we have this other piece called Flylight, and it has this swarm algorithm uh, running through it. It's this interactive light sculpture whereby when you walk towards the piece, the light flies towards you and follows you around, and it is uh, programmed in a way that you know you have these birds. Uh, movements uh, flying through it but to get to those right movements of course you have to do a lot of uh, a lot of research you know so there's a lot of university research behind it for how how do birds actually swarm and and um, you know who takes the lead in this swarm and how does it all work and um, at a certain point when we were working on this uh, static light sculpture for um, well for in in for private collectors in museums we thought okay how amazing would it be if we can take that, uh, swarm algorithm outside, you know, this physical object, and then have it have it in the skies, but but not as a projection, but something still physical that you can relate to, mm. but um, has that free swarming, uh, natural uh, form, uh, in front of you. And at that time, there what there was not there was no drone industry, there was nothing uh, of that kind, so. Uh, there was just some hobbyists and some universities working on on quadcopters and you know making them talk to each other so you can uh, you can do uh, sort of certain patterns. and yeah, so we actually went around the world trying to find the right universities to work with the right partners. and like it was a it was a ten year search. To, uh, to actually um, find the hardware, to program it, to alter the hardware that we could actually uh, fly the sculpture. So for, it, it was was as exciting for us as for anybody else to mm. finally see that piece come together and and fly above the, the sea in uh, in Miami it was a, yeah, it was a mega trip. I, th- I think that's my my mo- number one art experience, uh, interesting art experience that I had with my own work.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, I often speak to Thomas Gerst, a friend of mine who runs the BMW art programme. And, you know, BMW invited me that evening and we we were just gobsmacked. We always have things to say and we, we both were silent. So if you can render me and Thomas Gerst silent, you've done a good job. <laughs> we love to talk. You talked there about the collaborations. I mean, that's... Um, 10 years of this sort of pioneering work with all of these people. Um, Lonica. when we think of an artist, t- typically, you know, the sort of traditional, conventional, you know, few hundred year old thinking is that it's an artist toiling alone in their garret. And actually that's not the way the contemporary art, art world works today. And I would say that you guys are really sort of pushing the at the forefront, really pushing those boundaries. I mean, how do you even begin to navigate those kind of collaborations? Your, your day must look extremely complex and involve lots of different moving parts across many different industries presumably across several countries how do you manage that
1: yes <laughs> that's a very good question we not we usually don't take the easy way and yeah, I noticed. our artworks <laughs> no exactly but our our artworks uh, are meant to be shared are meant to be seen and meant to be experienced by also by groups of people and, and multiple people that's why we do this and what we want out of this and it means also that you cannot stay in your atelier and only work from your own perspective. The works that we want to make, they only come into being by working with uh, technicians or universities who have certain technology. But we want to use that in a different way than it's meant to be usually. So it's a matter of bridging a lot of things. There's always a physical aspect in our work. Like for instance, the gluing of dandelion seeds on LEDs, which is very physical, very uh, sensitive material work and there's always a programming part and then there's also a mechanical part and it means that you have to make that all these parties talk to each other and and also yeah you have to bridge that so yeah how does a day look like um we have a big team because we have a team with different types of specialisms uh, and we also outsource a lot because we have decided we don't want to buy for instance a welding machine and then you constantly have to work with a welder and with your machine we we Uh, We work with partners so we can constantly work with a new technology that fits the the experience that we have in mind. I think the biggest challenge is always to create a feeling, a natural feeling in something that is built with a lot of mechanics and motors and software and to convince engineers and and, and technical people that you have to put feeling into a work and, and that it has to create an emotional reaction I think that is usually, you know, after all the technical challenges, the project is not, has not succeeded if it doesn't leave continuously that re- emotional response to, to visitors and not only once, but time after time. And so we have a quite hard judging method for ourselves. And yes, that that is the, the big thing. I remember when we did the drones and uh, we said like, yes, it's, exactly it works exactly how we planned it does it flies exactly the same as as in our animations and 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 in the algorithm that we developed we just didn't feel it and so we had to find ways to feel it and 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 it's very hard sometimes to explain that to people who think with another side of the mind but it's also great if you then achieve those things it's it's why we do this and what we live for
0: I know, um, Ralph, you're a huge science fiction fan. And you've talked about the fact that, you know, it's so much more than a sort of fantasy genre. For you, it's almost um, something that researchers and technicians could use as a roadmap of what the future could look like if it was followed, you know, if they those people were to follow the paths of what artists and creators have dreamt up. And I think that's really special. And I I think it was interesting to hear Lonica talk there about like, Well, we've had this great idea. You're using a particular process or method or material in this particular way. But we would like to combine that with, you know, 10 other things and push it to um, what might be described as an illogical extreme, but therefore a kind of beautiful, creative, poetic extreme. And I I wondered if you could expand upon that idea of science fiction and the role that it plays in the way that you sort of dream up future projects.
2: Yeah, well, a good science fiction is nothing more than uh, creative people thinking about how technology might influence the future, and yeah, these uh, these ideas are mostly then picked up by technicians that start developing the tech to make these uh, make these ideas a reality. So, in many cases, it's a predecessor of what might come, and in some cases also a self fulfilling prophecy. So, I would also say it's kind of important that you know we keep dreaming of a. Uh, a very positive future whereby the technologies that we use have a benefit to society, a benefit to our uh, engagement with one another in, instead of it being used as a, a, another platform to, to um, yeah, push the stuff uh, that we don't need. So um, there's a responsibility in that to come up with um, futuristic ideas that are uh, building on our society instead of breaking them down.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Which leads me, um, nicely to my next question, which is, um, about sustainability, which is a huge issue. And I'm thinking immediately of the work Materialism that I saw in the Staglick Museum show. Um, you present these everyday products like a vacuum cleaner or a beetle car or, a, I remember, a water bottle, and you reduce them to the exact quantity of the specific raw materials from which they were made. So they're really, when the viewer encounters them, they're these sort of beautiful, minimalistic, rectangular blocks that look like sculptures. But actually, that's the con- that's the sort of the, all of the form of that big complex object reduced down to just materials. And of course, therefore, we're thinking about sustainability with the title is materialism, which is telling in it itself. And I was struck by the fact that other artists might use their work as a form of awareness and activism, which is really important about the environment. But your work particularly is almost um, looking to find solutions like the Obsidian Project, which is really special. Um, I haven't actually seen that myself in person, I don't think. Can you explain that to me, Lonica, in the context of um, this, in entire exploration into sustainability?
1: Um, Definitely. I think at Drift we um, approach sustainability slightly different than uh, in the the big protests uh, ways. Um, We believe that um, a sustainable future uh, starts with uh, feeling connected with our environment and and, um, feeling the need to understand how things work. I think Drift comes from both Ralph's and my fascination of and questioning of how this world works, how things are made, uh, why it's done in this way. And um, that reflects materialism, you know. Um, uh, We use an an iPhone every day, but we don't know how it works. And why does it have to have that special precious metal that can only be found in the deep sea under Japan, for instance, you know. Is that really Mm. what we ask for? Or what is it actually that it's about? It's about communication in a specific way. So, so we we would like to question the world and understand the world and see what it actually takes for the ideas that we have. And um, that that is, I think, the same thing with the obsidian projects. Uh, that was an older project uh, where we explored um, a man-made material, uh, man-made obsidian, um, which is the rest product um, of. Uh, production method to uh, extract precious metals from uh, chemical waste and um, at that moment the the this scientist had developed this uh, process uh, but he didn't do anything with this with this with this let's say uh, material it was a leftover material and we explored how we could use this material in a way that um, uh, it's, it's not a waste material, but it becomes a precious material. So we started to use it as uh, a glass. It, it was basically... It was very interesting because it was... It, it Nobody knew how this material would behave. Like for glass has been a lot of research, for metal has been a lot of research. But this was a material between stone, glass, and metal, and it had a complete behavior of its own. And um, so uh, it's called uh, synthetic obsidian, and... Um, Yeah, I think the way how we tried to uh, uh, use this material was to show how precious waste could be. But I think it's it's you know we this has could have if we would have focused only on this obsidian project, we could have started a complete new company. With uh, uh, it was such a huge research, and we we saw in the process that it took like multiple like really a big team of people to really create this material, make it ready for production, and then it would make a difference in the world. And at a certain point, we decided to not move forward with that because we had so many other things to explore. Uh, But it's still something painful uh, for for Ralph and me now and then because we feel like there was so much potential in this project. And, I mean, the material is is beautiful. It's it's dark and black, and you can see yourself in it in a polished version of that material.
2: Um, We're still going to make a series out of it one day.
0: Great. I'd love to see it in the flesh. I mean, it's striking, isn't it? Because I think so much of your work gets to this—the heart of this thing—which is that we think we think we're so clever, but actually, in order to reproduce what nature seems to have done so seamlessly, is really, really hard. As that as that demonstrates that nature has got these fantastic inbuilt systems for replenishing and recycling, and we we, we interfere with them, of course. But left to its own devices, it works majestically. And you know, even with all of these great minds and money and time and engagement to just even try and replicate or reproduce or redirect or, or, or any of those processes is really tough and challenging. So I suppose you, you as artists are going to come across those um, quite sad moments where you say, wow, we could go down there, but we'll be down that avenue for the rest of our lives.
1: Yeah, I think as an artist, you also have to really choose then sometimes your own path. And you can be distracted very easily because we are very curious minds. And and
0: Mm. yes,
1: it also means you can sometimes get lost. But yeah, we are, I think, on quite a clear path. Do you think
0: Drift is evolving to make more socially engaged work? I mean, you, how, you're not necessarily didactic in the way that you position things. I was struck by the fact that the um, wall text at the Stedelijk Museum and the way that you presented the work and even the way that, Ralph, you talked to me about the work as you took me around that museum show, um, is not didactic and it's not sort of telling anyone off. It is almost just trying to reveal stuff to us and, and we come to our own conclusions. But at the same time, I, I do feel like I see more... Um, you guys voicing more your your opinions on on sustainability and the kind of the the debt that we owe the planet
2: well i think uh, there's a there's also a danger in um just always being opinionated about what is going wrong in the world um mm. actually when i when i was graduating and and following my study i was very uh, i was more like a um, reacting as a, as a, as a rebel and, and you know speaking out about everything that was wrong and you know but, but at a certain point it gets this negative vibe whereby you're only coming with problems and not solutions and um, and it's also very easy just to comment on everything all the time but um, you know I guess I figured out at a certain point also through my collaboration with Lonica that if you Focus on some, you know, something positive, or 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 show how something might change in the future, or how it should be. Then you're having completely different conversations, and um, I think those are more valuable, and and uh, you can grow with them, and also for your own health. You know, you become um, yeah, you become more positively focused instead of you know just looking at everything that's that's wrong because that's just Mm. well, to be honest, that's just endless. So (laughs) <laughs> um yeah there was there was a certain point there was yeah it's true i mean there was a certain point there was like a a mind shift for me and um and i've i've been very uh, very happy and lucky to to make that uh, make that shift
0: yeah lonica you touched on it earlier but i i'm always really struck by the fact that um there's such a furious pace of work and all these amazing projects you're working on and technicians all over the world and all these things we've touched upon. Uh, but you, you you encounter your work and it is to encounter a particular kind of beauty and stillness. And that just seems to me to come first. I, I could... I could show someone your work without telling them anything about how it was made or what it was made of, in fact. In fact, I remember doing this with a few people in Amsterdam in Sower House. And they just thought it was beautiful. And then you tell them what it is. And then they're like, what? Um, there's two of you and there's all these technicians that you work with. But when it comes down to just you two and thinking about what something physically looks like, what drift is putting into the world as, a, as an artistic object, um, how do you begin? Are you Do you begin with that idea this is our this is our vision, and let's work out how to make it. um and the making of it is less important than the way it looks, or is the whole thing more um organic like than that or is it different in every single project?
1: Well, I think Ralph and I are are since we know each other in an endless conversation and and all the works are um an abstract of that. and um that conversation evolves. We are growing, the world is changing, so we react to. Ourselves, each other, our environment, and and I think our works are a longing for how we want things to be. They're not necessarily how our life is or how we always react to things, but they are situations in where we feel completely calm and at ease, and in um, uh, where we also agree. So we have two quite different personalities, but um, our work is where. All the struggles and and uh, different opinions have been resolved, and where 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 there is calm. So, I think so over some works we literally have had many fo- uh, fights, and and you can maybe feel in the work that they all that that all those things make sense from different perspectives. So that is, I think, how we approach things, and usually we agree on the needs that we have for feeling this connectivity with our environment and create a some sort of calm yeah. in which you feel connected also with yourself. And when you feel connected with yourself, you can way easier connect with others and become uh, get into a state of mind that you all want to go into the same direction. And on a broader perspective, I believe that that is what the world needs. We have been diversified so much and 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 there's so many perspectives on things and it makes things so complex and you can actually see that we are a little bit uh, without direction at this moment. Uh, how do we behave with COVID? How do we behave with the climate crisis? What is the truth Um who says what? What is everyone's rights? Uh, we are all the same, but we don't act like it. And it's, there are so many things changing um, personally. And and, and also, uh, I think our vision with Drift is how do you get to a state of where you can connect with each other, have a real conversation instead of fighting out each other. And I think that has to do definitely also with creating an environment where that is possible, where you feel this calm, where you where you. Feel that a lot of, um, how you say that, stimulus are out so you can focus on what really matters. And um, now I lost the question.
0: <laughs> no, it was the most beautiful um, answer, Lonnie. It answered the question and more. Do you think okay. that? 2020 I mean 2020 was a historic year it's a difficult year it's a year no one will ever forget did it teach you anything as artists I mean it strikes me that in everything you've just outlined there Lonica in terms of your mindset your philosophy the way that you hope to inspire connectivity and and this sort of um you know extraordinary moment through those artworks um did yes. it teach you anything else? Did it did it help you adapt? Did it did it help you find supporters? Did it did it change anything for you? Would you say, Ralph? Um, I
1: think. Oh, sorry. I will let Ralph uh, Ralph talk.
2: No, you caught you caught me off guard here. Let me think about it for a little bit.
1: Oh, let me then. Let me then. Uh, let yeah, me then answer. An answer. Yes, okay, I have go. the answer ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it told me a lot, and actually, it's for me, it's proved. Uh, some of the projects we have already been working on. Um, for instance, if if I can give an example, um, what happens now in in the COVID situation is that we are we don't know the path, and we cannot look five years ahead at this moment. We can only look maybe two weeks or three weeks ahead. Everyone in in our lives at this moment with all the mm. lockdowns and evening clocks and and uncertainty. Um, if you picture yourself, like like. We have created a world where we are used, that we are in control, we can control our environment, we we kind of know how everything works so we can anticipate on it and we feel we have a choice. Um, But in the natural world, if you picture yourself an animal uh, in a a forest, you always have to react to what's happening in your environment. You might have a goal, but at the same time, you also uh, have to react to everything around you. So you never have this certainty, you can never plan Far ahead, and I think we have got gotten them back into a situation that our environment is leading or the circumstances are leading, and we have to adapt and follow in order to survive and This is exactly also the, the swarming behavior of, of starlings. This is how starlings make choices um, there's not one leader, but they try out different directions and which feels the best, and which the more birds follow one of the directions, then they decide to go into that direction. It's a decision-making model. It's also how trees grow and how trees work. They find their The, the, the roots find their way, and it's how things should be. Um, we have kind of cut out this part of, of connection with our environment in order to build the, the, the human world, and we have created beautiful, massive things. But we are now in a time... Um, I think I learned that this is the way how things should be. We cannot make the right decision right now for how to... From now to the end of the pandemic, we're going to solve this. We have to go step by step. How frustrating that is. We have to learn that this is the only way. If you know this is also how nature makes choices, you can kind of uh, relax into that situation. See, okay, this is how it should be. So we have to be way more flexible, uh, work in smaller steps and, and get into one direction with the group. Um, So I see exactly what nature is doing and how we can learn from that. And I find that calming, fascinating and endlessly interesting to explore and and learn from it.
0: Lonnika, you really just cheered me up. That was so lovely. And now when I see a swarm of birds, I will not just think of drift, but I will think of this fantastic piece of advice of how to... um, how to put one foot in front of the other in this extraordinary climate we find ourselves in. Well, I think you really just aren't asked, sorry, I think you really just talked about sort of how you go about being an artist. And Ralph, I wondered if you wanted to respond to that. This podcast is called How to Be an Artist, How to Be an Artist in This Most Crazy of Times. Um, I think you guys give very good examples of perseverance to, to make things a reality. I wondered what you thought about that, Ralph, you know, how to be an artist.
2: Yeah, jeez, how to be an artist? Um, well, first of all, you have to not give a a rat's ass about what other people think. Um, I think that's very important. Uh you just have to look at what you find uh inspiring in the world, just just you know, maybe go like personally, I, I how I got inspired to become an artist is just work on the things that inspired me when I was a child. So, um, you know, like these weird technical contraptions, you know, that have uh, as a child is looking at something like this, it might not have a a logical function, but it moves in a very elegant way. And how does this robotic arm move? And uh, my interest into science fiction and just growing from there, um, I knew this was a very a pure interest because it's not been influenced by uh, by culture, it's not being influenced by other people. It's just like my pull towards something, uh, you know, that is that is in my nature. And um, so, so growing from from taking that as an inspirational source and growing from that led to where I am. So I think that's very important. So, just don't be distracted from what other people think, and then. Mm. Um second of all, you have to um you have to be just have no doubt in your mind that what you're doing um is the best that what you can do. And and um because you will have a lot of no's, you will have a lot of people trying to put you on a different path or not accepting what you're doing or who you are. And um yeah, it's just it's just it's I think it's just mostly a mindset. Um it's just that you have a certain goal and you don't let anybody take you from that path Um, Mm. yeah
0: wonderful well thank you so much for your time I absolutely um, love your work as you know and I'm really really pleased I got to chat with you thank you Drift thank you Lonecker and Ralph
2: yeah you're welcome
1: thank you Kate